continue our series. Y'all excuse the voice, please. Some kind of upper respiratory activity going on. We continue our series called Cries from the Cross, which has been a study or a survey of the seven things that Jesus said while being crucified. Today, we'll focus on the suffering of Jesus, in particular, the thirst that he experienced during crucifixion. We'll be in John chapter 19. Put the ribbon there. We'll be back and forth. John 19, beginning at verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. As I taught a few weeks ago, crucifixion, death by crucifixion, actually occurs through asphyxiation or suffocation, inability to breathe. But the suffering of crucifixion is intensified by just exposure, but also by dehydration, which also hastens death. Because all of our cells, our organs, and all of our systems require water. Hydration is essential for life. And humans can usually live only three or perhaps up to five days without water. There are some exceptions that are almost miraculous, but that's typically people are in trouble if they go more than three days without water. Now, Jesus' dehydration, if you remember the 24 hours before, began in Gethsemane. For in that garden, as he cried out to the Father in agony, cried out to God in agony, and he sweated great drops of blood. He was arrested that evening, and he was tried before Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest and the former high priest. Then he spent the night in a dungeon, followed by trials before the Roman governor Pilate, then the king of Judea Herod, then back to Pilate, who had him flogged 39 times. 40 was supposed to be a faithful, a fatal punishment. And it caused him to bleed because the, that the lashes would have bits of metal and bone that would tear the skin. So he lost moisture through bleeding as well. Just the sheer exertion of having to carry his cross piece to the site of his crucifixion would cause him to perspire as well. And because of Jesus' already weakened condition, he wasn't even able to complete that journey. And Simon of Cyrene took over. So because of pain, anxiety, and exertion, the fluids were drained from his body through perspiration and blood. For six hours, he hung on the cross without moisture. Now I want you to think about who he was. Scripture plainly tells us that all creation occurred through Jesus Christ. So why did the creator of rivers and streams suffer from dehydration? We know that 
He had refused to turn stones into bread when he was fasting for 40 days and being tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And now he refused to create water while thirsting on the cross. He performed miracles giving both food and water at different times to other people in need, but he would not provide relief for himself. And so as we examine the thirst of Jesus, we'll see several things. The first is that the thirst of Jesus showed his mission. It's not Spike, though I'm sure it might help. Back to John 19, verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. Jesus had a mission from God. From God the Father. And he, he completed that mission on the cross. He knew that his assignment was to suffer the pain and the ridicule of crucifixion. But not to endure and survive it. Rather to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. You know we think of humans that are punished even tortured. And, and they succeed to survive it. Because that's the goal. That wasn't the goal here. The goal was that he suffer fully and die. Hebrews 2.10, 9.65 if you're using this Bible. If not, they're still for sale out there. Hebrews 2.10. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Jesus' suffering, including his burning thirst, revealed his submission to the plan that he had agreed to before the foundation of the earth, conceived by the Father and agreed to, submitted to by the Son before the world was even created. We see that in Revelation 13, 8. Jesus complied with drinking the cup of suffering. He asked, can this cup be taken from me? But he said, but I want your will and not my will to be done. Luke twenty-two forty-two. He was determined to fulfill his mission. He knew fully what it was, what it called for. And he would take no shortcuts. So he refused even... A drink that had been offered to him when he first arrived at Calvary. Matthew 27. Just go to the left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew 27, verse 33. So he was offered something on two occasions. And they went out to a place called Golgotha. Which means place of the skull that's Aramaic the soldiers gave him wine mixed with bitter gall 
Or some, some of your verses translate it poison. The same Greek word stands for the same. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. Now the word Golgotha, as I said, is Aramaic. The word Calvary is Latin. But they mean the same thing. And so this was a bitter drink. And, and what I've learned in, in studies is that, is that poisons are bitter, but acids are sour. So he was offered one of each. Now the wine was mixed with gall. A poisonous herb, perhaps from the poppy. So it may have been essentially mixed with opium. And it was commonly given to criminals before their execution in order to ease their suffering. Actually to to calm them down a little bit. Jesus refused the drink so that he would experience the pain and endure the suffering of crucifixion without taking the edge off at all. doesn't make sense to us, does it? When we suffer, we're always looking for a physician or some medication or something to take the edge off. Last night, I I was... uh, in, in the throes, I thought of death. Uh, just throat pain. And I said, there has got to be something in this house. My wife's a nurse, you know. I said, there's got to be something in this house so I can sleep. Because I have to face an ominous crowd in the morning. <laughs> and so we found this uh, pain pill. I'm sure that it was still within its active date. And, all. <laughs> and I, I, I took one last night and slept. And I, I brought half of one here today and I said hey David I got this he said oh no you I don't know what you might say if you take that (laughs) so we don't want I'm not preaching under the influence of that hopefully under the influence of the spirit but but we but my point is that we always want relief don't we any way we can find it make it a little easier for me to get by Jesus refused what would have made it easier. He did not want his senses numbed nor his pain diminished while on the cross. He knew that he had to suffer with undiminished pain. He had to experience the full wrath of God to become our substitute. To become the sacrifice for our sins. But understand, his substitution was personal and individual. It wasn't symbolic. And so he experienced hell fully. The wrath of God undiminished for your sake. Angels would have brought him water. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane... At least in the Luke version, it tells us that that angels strengthened him. But he endured this painful dehydration and suffering alone. Do you have a mission from God? Scripture says make your calling and election sure. If you were called to faith, then you were called to to mission 
And our missions are individual and personal. They're unique. Do you know what yours is? And are you willing to carry it out even if it requires suffering? Jesus had to suffer. In fact, as the, the verse in Hebrews I read, that he, he became a perfect leader through his suffering. Not from just following the plan, but following the plan when suffering tried to deter him. It, isn't it interesting that if we think we have an assignment from God, something to accomplish, and if we run into obstacles or setbacks, or pain, then we start questioning whether it's really from God. Don't we? Somehow we have this American God that we think, if I'm right with God, I don't suffer. I get what I want. I have all that I need and some extra. And nobody hassles me. Jesus fit none of those paradigms, did he? None of those parameters. To follow God's will for him was to suffer. Undiminished. Are we willing to suffer? If God calls us to a mission that requires it. The thirst of Jesus also showed his humanity. Verse 28 again in Psalm 19. I mean in John 19. Just the end of the verse. He said, I am thirsty. Jesus' thirst proves he was a fully human man, not merely God appearing human. You see, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and even angels don't experience thirst. Spirit beings don't have thirst. But Jesus possessed a fully human body, emotions, mind, and will. Now, many in our society find it hard to believe that Jesus was fully God. But evangelicals, y'all know that word? You're hearing it a lot, aren't you? You have any idea at all what it means? Not anymore. <laughs> it, even, here's all it means. Here's all it means. It, we would say it as Bible-believing Christians. is essentially what the word evangelical represents. In particular, it means that we believe the authority of the Bible... We recognize the need for evangelism, the necessity of Jesus' sacrifice, and eternal life being received only by faith. Four simple statements, but that, that defines evangelical. So now when you hear it in all this political stuff, you'll know. But for us, there seems to be something difficult to grasp about God the Son becoming fully man. Even to the point 
of becoming thirsty, tired, tempted. I wonder if he had respiratory infections with every change of season like I do. Perhaps. Perhaps. He didn't struggle to find an expired pain pill, however. (laughs) Jesus was truly God and truly man. With two natures united in one person. It's the only way it could happen, see. A mere human, even a good one dying, wouldn't be sufficient for all of us. So he had to be fully human, experience every emotion, pain, thought we have in a life that was infinite. And that's the only way his death could be inclusive of us all. He was truly God. He was truly man. He had two natures united in one. And this is articulated by a council. The things we believe hundreds and hundreds of years ago, councils of very bright scholars formulated the belief system. And the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451 articulated Jesus as truly human and truly Truly God, truly man, two natures united in one. Now Jesus' thirst reflected obviously his need for fluids, for water. But I wonder whether there is not more evident than merely a physical yearning for water. Put yourself in his place. Reflect on his experience. What else might he have been yearning for, thirsting for at that moment? Remember what's happened. At this stage of the crucifixion, he's immersed in complete darkness. And the father has separated himself, has separated his presence from his son. We looked at that last week. So perhaps he certainly desired to return into the presence of the Father after three hours of separation. But I wonder too, wasn't there a thirst to see change in us? Perhaps he started with the people around him, some of the ones that put him to death, but he came all the way to us. Did he thirst To see us benefit from his death. To change, to experience eternal life. You know, it's clear from the Bible that Jesus had a human body. I'll just throw out some verses. And some of you that like to jot these down move quickly. I know others of you can't find a pen. But John 1.14 states he had a body. He was born in the normal way, Luke 2.7. He grew physically and mentally, Luke 2, 40 and 52. He grew tired, John 4, 6. He got hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He grew thirsty, right here in this passage, John 19. He became tired, Luke 23, 26. But he also possessed human emotions. We would almost think 
if he had the mind of God and he knew all things, he wouldn't ever be experiencing much emotion. Some of us have idealized that feeling no emotion, being rational all the time is ideal. It's not the way he lived. It's not who he was. The scripture says he was amazed, Matthew 8, 10. He was anguished, distressed, and grieved in Matthew 26, 37 and 38. He was angered and deeply troubled so that he wept, John 11, 33 through 35. He prayed with a loud cry and tears. You ever prayed like that? Hebrews 5, 7. Sometimes I tell some of you, you're all worked up. I say, go out in the backyard and just yell at God a while. We have a mandate from Jesus. He prayed that way sometimes. I don't know that he was angry, but he certainly was crying out loudly. And crying literally as he prayed. In fact, Jesus' humanity is one of the first tests of true faith. 1 John 4, 2, 2 John 7. Because Jesus was fully human, he understands our physical and our emotional pain because he experienced it fully. He doesn't just know about it. He didn't just observe it. He lived it. Hebrews 2, verse 17. Turn there. Hebrews is toward the back of the Bible. This passage is on 965. Verse 17. Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters. So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. In other words, if he wasn't made exactly like us, he couldn't have offered a sacrifice to take our place. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we're tested. Now, just as we have physical thirst to sustain our bodies, your, your thirst is a trigger for you, isn't it? Your body is telling you. Isn't it interesting how God's wired the body up to, to tell us what we need? When you women are pregnant, you know, God's telling you you need chocolate, <laughs> donuts, ice cream, pickles. I forgot pickles. Cheetos. Leanne liked Cheetos. But, and maybe perhaps there's something in the Cheetos that your body needs, but your, your body tends to tell you, doesn't it? I'm diabetic. If my blood sugar is low, I'll be much more hungry. If it's high, I'll have no hunger. Your, our bodies do tell us things. So our thirst tells us we're getting dehydrated. We need fluids. But I wonder whether we have spiritual thirst as well. Do you have a spiritual thirst that sustains your soul? In reality, we all do. And it's just as 
influential, as powerful, as tangible as physical thirst. There's within every one of us a thirst for a relationship with the God who created us. We desire a deep, intimate, spiritual connection with him. Psalms 42, don't turn there. Many of you know this passage. It'll be on the screen in a second. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, for the living God. When can I go and stand before him? You hear the desire just to, to be in God's presence. All of us, there are no exceptions to this. All of us have an inner emptiness that only God can fill. I didn't say no one denies it. I'm telling you, all of us have it. Now, some people choose not to pursue it. Some people deny it even exists. But instead, they try to quench themselves with something. Sometimes it's something destructive. Alcohol, drugs, sex. could be money, pleasure, power. Sometimes it could just be pursuing some social cause that certainly looks good on the surface, but it's been made too important. It's been made life-directing, life-controlling. When you can't experience God, the next most powerful thing you experience is physical pleasure. So many pursue physical pleasure as a substitute for God. The problem is that satisfaction diminishes over time. It damages the soul. It doesn't provide enduring peace. The things that people try to substitute for God are almost ridiculous. They can't place, they can't replace God. Some others deal with their disconnection just through activities, sports, hobbies, exercise, travel, politics, even overworking. They're not wrong in themselves, but, but they're, they're just given too much importance. My real point is, you have a thirst for God, and it will be filled with something. Jeremiah 2.13, this is a powerful verse. I do want you to scramble around and find this old prophet's writing. More, more toward the middle, actually, 606. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You have any cracked cisterns? These substitutes 
are broken cisterns that do not satisfy spiritual thirst. They can distract. They can divert attention. But they will never satisfy. They can, though, divert you from seeking the true living water that does satisfy. You will be driven towards something is what I'm saying. How do you satisfy your inner thirst for God? First, do you recognize that, there, that it really is a thirst for God? Then how do you satisfy? Because let me tell you this. You know how many of us are satisfying it in this room? Every one of us. But it may not be with God. What are you seeking to satisfy your inner thirst to fill your emptiness with? The thirst of Jesus also showed his identity. Back to John 19, verse 29. Start at 28. To fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. <coughs> that's, that's an odd arrangement in the verse, isn't it? To fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Doesn't that seem unusual? No. Not if you understand why he did it. And then it says, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. Some of your translations don't say sour wine. They say vinegar, right? Some of you have vinegar. Yeah, that's the same word in Greek. Oxos, sour wine or vinegar, same thing, was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. You know, we've seen movies and we've seen pictures of Jesus on the cross, you know, up high. But in all likelihood, Jesus was crucified either two or three feet above the ground. So it really would have been easy for a soldier to put a sponge on a reed and hold it to his mouth. Now the drink that was offered was a cheap wine, kind of an old spoiled wine actually, that the Roman soldiers commonly consumed called Pasca. And it was made by diluting sour wine vinegar that had turned to vinegar with water and sometimes with flavoring herbs. Now this drink was inexpensive. It was considered more thirst quenching than water. I'm not sure about that, but they thought it was. It prevented scurvy, killed bacteria in the water. And because sometimes the water was so nasty, the vinegar smell was more pleasant than the water smell. Made it more palatable. So the soldiers brought this Pasca, which no longer had any alcohol content, but they, they carried it with them to Calvary to satisfy their thirst during their crucifixion duty. But the point back to Jesus, why did he say, I thirst, when he would die within minutes? And knowing that wetting his lips with a sponge wouldn't have satisfied that 
suffering anyway? The answer is that there was a messianic prophecy that had to be filled. Ten centuries earlier, David wrote at Psalm 69. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible if you're ever trying to find it quickly. It's usually where your, your Bible will fall open in the middle. But this is Psalm 59. Verse 21. 69, I'm sorry. Verse 21. You said, you must have gotten yours on sale. Doesn't have enough verses, didn't you? (laughs) But instead they gave me poison or gall for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. So a Roman soldier is responding to the cry of Jesus. But he's really fulfilling a messianic prophecy. Jesus didn't say that he was thirsty so that his raging thirst might be quenched. But so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Every detail of the prophecy including the kind of drink offered had to occur as predicted. For Jesus to be proven to be the Messiah. The soldier couldn't have given him water or even new wine. It had to be this vinegar or sour wine to fulfill the prophecy. Which Jesus fulfilled, his life fulfilled over 350 messianic prophecies. The agony of the Messiah was predicted by King David. Psalm 22, this is the one I I mentioned to you last week. Here before Easter, read Psalm 22, read Isaiah 53. Psalm 22, verse 14. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. And then specifically, 15. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's a reference to dehydration. And you have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Jesus as Messiah promised to satisfy people's thirst. It's interesting how water is a theme of the Messiah. He thirsted so that we might be filled. John chapter 7. Eight fifty nine. Verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, the rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now 39 tells us this living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit being placed within us. At 40... When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Because he fulfilled Deuteronomy 18, Matthew chapter 4, some prophecies about that, the prophet coming. And others said, Well, he's the Messiah. Jesus also produced promised living water to a woman. You remember 
the woman at Jacob's well in Samaria? That's out of John chapter 4. But the question for us, since Jesus offers this living water, do you want to drink? Are you thirsty for the living water, the life-giving water, the strength-producing, the faith-reinforcing water that comes only from Jesus the Messiah? Or would you rather be drinking from cisterns, the ones you dig out yourself? The final invitation in the Bible, Revelation 22, refers to water as well. And it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink drink freely from the water of life. Come. Will you come this morning to take a drink of living water that will satisfy your thirst. That compulsive drive you have that that you end up regretting the next morning. That you are drawn out of this thirst, but you know that, that you drinking from these other wells is destroying your children, your spouse, your friends, your relationships, your soul. Will you drink from the living water? That'll last forever. There'll be counselors here at the front. After I pray, if you want to speak to someone about how you can have a drink of this living water, they'll be here at the front. There'll also be counselors in the care connection room. Soul training this week for your reflection. Am I willing to obey God even if it causes me to suffer. Father, we thank you for your son who experienced everything we experience, but the negative things even to a greater degree, who suffered willingly, not even allowing the pain to be diminished. So that we could be fully cleansed of our sins. Father, I pray that you will sensitize everyone seated here who knows the thirst I'm describing. And that they'll take a step toward having that thirst quenched, satisfied fully and forever. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.